So good. All right, everybody, welcome. We've got another episode of Lifestyle Medicine. Today we've got Corey Ninehouse, who's a licensed acupuncturist. And where are you out of, Corey? Omaha, Nebraska. Beautiful. I love it. <laughs> so you and I kind of connected via the Tucson connection through Jared Lash yeah. and studying uh, Tim Cartmel, Shingy, you know, traditional Chinese martial arts. Why don't you give the audience a little bit of background to, yeah, like what you do, how you found your spot, you know, your background a little bit, and then we'll jump into the goodies. All right on. Uh, well, we have to jump in the way back machine. And uh, <laughs> my mom took me to see the Karate Kid in 1985. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it. I, ever since then, I was always wanted martial arts, martial arts, martial arts. Um, we didn't have a lot of money growing up, so I could go to a program at the Y here and there. Yeah. Uh, nothing fancy, nothing spectacular. And then uh, I want to say when I was about 16, mom became a nurse, so there was a little more income. So I started training at an actual private dojo, uh, did more Tong Sudo and Eskrima, mm. uh, which was kind of cool. I'd never seen Eskrima before, so that was kind of cool. Yeah, sticks. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, when I was about 20, I had fallen off for a couple years. About 20, I was uh, just flipping burgers, wasting time because I was – not a good college student in my earlier college career. Yeah. And I started watching um, Kung Fu, The Legend Continues on TV. David, David Carradine, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the yep. remake they did. Okay. Um, where he, it was like his grandson, was, but it was David Carradine in both of them. Right. And I was like, oh, I should get back into martial arts. I always loved it. And I did, and I found a Tai Chi instructor who was pretty traditional and he was the first person that started making that martial art and medicine connection for me, um, yep. even to the point where he would just be like, you know, you can't be good at martial arts if you're eating garbage all the time. And I was like, what? This isn't good for me? Yeah. Groundbreaking information. <laughs> uh-huh. It was pretty. I remember sitting there just going, whoa, Burger King is not healthy. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> so the more I, I trained. And the more I would talk to coaches and teachers I had um, for that first few years in my 20s, I was like, wow, this is really cool. Maybe I should look into like, actually going back to school and learning something. And uh, I checked out massage school and I, was, I liked it. I did that. The program was good. It was a good foundation. Uh, I worked as a massage therapist for a bit, training the whole time. Um, sort of traditional, but that's when MMA really started to take off. So mm. we started mixing it up. Uh, a little bit here and there, just various things. And then one day I was like, you know what? Uh, I want to do something more than this, more than what I got going on. And I started researching chiropractic, acupuncture, and actual med school. Mm -hmm. And going to med school at 25, 26 is not easy. <laughs> behind the curve, technically. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So um, a couple teachers and some close friends, I was talking to them you know, just for some advice. Um, and one of my chiropractor buddies says, Corey, you know, knowing you as long as I have, why don't you really look into Chinese medicine schools? You know, it's kind of everything yeah. that you're looking for in a, in a health modality and you already kind of have this background. And I did. And uh, I ended up in Tucson, which is where I met Jared Lash. Uh, yep. We were both training at the North American Tongshida at the time. And uh, so we kind of formed that connection. And then fast forward a couple years, 
Uh, Jared sends me a random invite on Facebook saying he's hosting Tim Cartmill, who I've been a fan of since always. I even looked him up once way back when he had his own shop in Garden Grove. Right. And uh, so I was like, hell yeah, Jared, I'm in, you know. Yeah. And uh, I've been going ever since. Whenever he has Tim come out, I go down. Uh, I've been out to see Tim once in L.A. before all the COVID weirdness came along. Yep. And I just, I just love to train. I love to learn. You know, that's, that's kind of it. Yeah, that's kind of the backdrop. Well, I think you touched on a good point, which is one, you and I share a very similar thread, which was when I got into Chinese medicine school, the, the way I found Chinese medicine school was actually through a bunch of Tung Shidao martial artists. So yeah. went and started training with them and they, were, they dropped that ball. They said, well, martial arts and medicine are sort of like yin and yang. They're the two halves. And if you're mm-hmm. not studying both, you're kind of getting half of the pie. You need to have both to make a cohesive whole. And it really uh, sort of established this thing, I think, which is cool about Chinese medicine, which I think you can appreciate it, which is martial arts and medicine feed one another. And yeah. if you're studying these arts that way, it's a complete picture. It's the whole pie. And what's cool about it is that Chinese medicine is so old and a lot of the arts are very old. So they have this old you know, systematic approach to exercise that like feeds the actual medicine tradition itself. Yeah. Which we really don't have in the West. I mean, there's definitely, you know, Western exercise is good for the heart and whatnot, but it's a lot more enmeshed with Chinese medicine. I agree 100%. Yeah. Which is pretty interesting and pretty cool. So for the people that are listening, um, let's talk about that for a minute. Let's talk about, I would love to hear your take on it. I've got my thoughts, which people have heard before, but I would, Uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on, sort of how that works, you know, what, when you look at Chinese martial arts, the movements, uh, you know, the meridian systems and all of that stuff that kind of goes with Chinese medicine in relation to the movement arts, talk about that connection a little bit, just so people can kind of have a framework if they're, if they're not hip to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I kind of view it as, uh, in the medical model, you have these maps of, you know, your anatomy, physiology, etc., And that's true across any medical model. Yeah. The Chinese medical model has some specialty ones, the meridian system, the acupoints, um, the circadian clocks, you know, how the organs work in relation to the time in the year. Yep. There's exercises that they developed over millennia that can activate, deactivate some of those patterns, those those maps. They work better on those. Um, so I always thought that was neat that, you know, when we have a patient come in that maybe has uh, some tension, but it's more than a muscular tension, it's like a mental tension, maybe a tension in, in, in their external life, you know, they're having like this, they're not moving forward at work or something, and you show them a liver qigong, and it brings that anger down, that tension out of their head, they feel better in their body, and they're easier to adapt to the situation at work. Right. And I think that's neat because then that same exercise, when you adapt that to fighting, you know, it's not hard to make that jump to moving your arms back and forth to throwing good punches, mm-hmm. you know, or, or grappling yep. somebody. Yep. So I just I always thought that was neat the way everything every little thing was systemized. They they yeah. spent so much time studying nature and the body and how things work together that, oh, you want to be good at kicking well, here's the exercises for that, but that'll also help your back pain. Yeah. If you get good at this. Right. Which is, which and is that, a bonus. that is just, that kind of blows my mind. 
it's kind of neat when you start comparing it to things that Western biomedicine is doing now with exercise science. Right. And they're going, oh, there's this connection here. If you do this exercise, you know, and, and so they're kind of starting to figure that out. Right. It's not fringe as much as it used to be probably even 10 years ago now. Yeah. I just and I just think that's that's fascinating to me. Agreed across the board with everything you're saying. And I think that was I think it happens with Western exercise too. people start moving their bodies and they quote unquote feel better. There's going to be some improvement in mood, um, you know, b- basic flexibility and whatnot. But I think that was that that was an eye opener for me, when I started studying Xingyi, Bagua, Tai Chi, the internal quote unquote yeah. Chinese martial arts, got into that and I was amazed at how the movements were softer than traditional Western exercise. But I was amazed through basic rudimentary movement, back uh, back pain reduced, you know, uh, knee pain improved, things that I had from playing rugby and football, uh-huh. from physical injuries. I was amazed. I was like, why are these soft kind of round exercises uh, that are systemized and very systematic in their approach. Why is this working? Because I think there's, for a lot of Westerners, we, we kind of get stuck into that model of if, uh, if it's not explosive, intense, and very 150% that we're not really doing anything to our body or it's not a real exercise or it's not going right. to be. So there's that, that soft approach kind of threw me for a spin. I thought that that <laughs> definitely hooked me. I mean, it got me in, into all this stuff as well. So, when, what do you do in terms of you're a clinician, you know, you, I know yep. you have an acupuncture practice where yep. you live, you see patients, you're treating them in the Chinese medical context. How do you bridge or do you bridge the movement arts into your practice? Is it, is it something that, um, you know, are you, are you teaching? Do you, you know, try to funnel people that way? How do you pitch the idea to them that, you know, these arts, the movement arts can actually, you know, foster health in the context of what you're doing with them? Um, I just, I kind of lay it out when we're talking about their treatment plan, you know, the course of action we're going to take to help them feel better. Yeah. Quite a few patients we talk to about exercise as therapy, whether it's, you know, jumping in the pool to alleviate some joint aches because you're buoyant in the pool or actually sending them to the Tai Chi class that my friend teaches, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't teach a lot right now. Um, mostly just because of life and dad duties and stuff. (laughs) Um, But one of my good friends uh, who's a Chinese martial artist and an herbalist uh, runs a class here at the clinic. So we'll put people in there because they just need to get moving to get their, their blood, their chi, whatever word you want to put in there moving. Um, I like starting out with something soft like Tai Chi because everybody can do it. Yeah. There's no, there's there's no bad place to start with Tai Chi. It doesn't matter how big and strong you are or little and frail you are. If you got bad knees, a bad back or whatever, there's a way to get Tai Chi to fit your body. Correct. Um, and I mean, you could do that with any martial art, but Tai Chi seems kind of laid out for that. Yeah. At least in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something, uh, you know, Tim Cartmel, who we've mentioned earlier, he talks about that too. He says, everybody can do anything. They just got to start slower. Right. And I've heard him say that a few times, um, at the classes that we've done and just listening to him talk. And I thought, what a great approach to bring someone into martial arts or even just movement for their health in general. Yeah. You just go slower. Yeah. If you get into a position that's too uncomfortable, then 
and you back off versus trying to like go lift 400 pounds and you're like blow your knees out. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, so yeah, I mean, we do that a lot for he, sure. Yeah. He, he's, yeah, I agree. He's very good at that. And he, he helped dispel that, you know, I, I'm only 38. And I, when I talked to him about training jujitsu, I was like, Oh, but like, if I start now, like, am I, am I too behind the curve? The same way you said about like going to med school at 25, right? You're like, Oh, it's too late. And I remember talking to him about that and he's, he said, no, just go slow. Like he's like, don't, yeah. don't go in there and train with the MMA guys who are looking to, right. to, to do it that way. But if you go slow, there's a lot of benefits. So I think that's a, a beautiful For thing sure. to, to look at. So what have you noticed in terms of personally, you as an individual practitioner um, of martial arts and then of the medicine, what's been your dynamic in terms of, you know, how much you're training, how much you're treating, how, what's that relationship like and, and how much they feed each other? What have you seen in terms of the connection between training the movement arts and then your own personal, you know, distribution of the medicine? Sure. Um, well, you know, my base always was uh, martial arts before yep. it was medicine. Yep. Um, I remember I was having kind of a rough patch in my early 20s and I could always come back to Kung Fu class to martial art, you know, it was, yep. could always go, it was my safe spot. I felt better when I went. And that was actually kind of the catalyst. When I would feel better, I would want to do it more. So I started going more. Right. And that was kind of a catalyst for the rest of my life. Cause as I trained more, I went to the bar less, <laughs> you know, all of those uh, things. It just became my, it became my exercise outlet, my social outlet, my mental health outlet. Um, and it finally, it's just, it's that thing I do. You can't remove it from my life now. It's, it's just, it's that part. Yep. When I started to transition into the study of medicine, um, it wasn't that hard to, to put that in there because it's just another part, another extension of, of that old, my, my Kung Fu, so to speak. Um, so I look at my practice of medicine and my practice of martial arts. They're, they're kind of the same thing. Yeah. But just going back to that yin yang, we were talking earlier, I do the soft side all day and help people feel better. And then, um, four or five nights a week, I hit the mats and we're, we're training hard. And that's, that's the hard side. That's the young side. Yep. You know, um, I'm a better clinician. The more I train because I feel better. Yeah. So, and I've back in January, uh, I broke my shoulder. Yeah. I remember. And I couldn't really do anything for a couple months and not that I will ever admit to being a bad clinician, (laughs) (laughs) but definitely, you know, your body hurts. You don't sleep good. Yeah. I mean, it's like anybody else that had a a rough night or a rough couple weeks, you know, your performance is going to fade in certain areas. So I'm sure I was probably, uh, you know, not as stellar as I, as I am right now. Yeah. I've been training almost every day now for almost three months, um, doing extra things, enjoying some new workouts that was shown to me recently, just yeah. having a good time. And, uh, I think it pays off. My patients seem happier. I get results quicker. Absolutely. You know, it's, it rubs off when you feel good. It rubs off on people. Yeah, it's pretty basic. I mean, I think that's true in most contexts of life. Right? Yeah, oh, for it, sure. Yeah, if the emotions are high, you, yeah, your disposition, your impact is going to be definitely more uplifting. 
When you were in uh, Tung Shu Dao, what years were you in and how long were you there? Um, 2007 to 2011-ish. Crazy. So we were in at the same time. We never crossed paths. I, that's funny. Um, did you go to any of the national events? Um, I went and helped out. I, I was broke uh, grad student at that yeah. time. Yeah. So I couldn't, uh, I didn't ever participate, but I would, uh, I worked a couple of the cameras and helped out at the events just to be yeah. in the atmosphere. Um, I went to some of the smaller events that they had in Tucson. Okay. Yeah, I was just wondering if we had crossed over, and it kind of leads into my question, though. How much exposure did you have to Vince Black? Did you get to meet him some? Oh, yeah. Um, I worked in Vince's clinic uh, most of the time that I was in Tucson Mm. um, when I wasn't in school. Uh, So it was like every Monday I was there because that was really my only day off from that, school that was the four wins is that what the uh-huh. yeah where he so for the, yeah. people, the people listening to give context vince was vince black was the founder of the north american tongue Shao association and past um god it's been two years now has it been I, right about yeah, yeah I think so. give or take um he passed and but he left a huge mark in terms of martial arts yeah. and medicine and was a very firm believer in um this thing that Corey and i are talking about which is martial arts and medicine go hand in hand. And I was amazed when he, when he really, I mean, he was the first guy that really pushed that to where it really solidified the idea. I liked it was good theory and good philosophy, but then the movement arts in terms of just keeping your body structurally sound and strong physically, especially if you do tweena or body work or any kind of manipulation for the body, the martial art pieces, keep your body strong. And the people that did this stuff seem to last longer. They don't burn out as quickly. <laughs> if because uh, that's pretty common, right? With people that are body yeah. workers and health workers, oh, yeah. they get burned out. Whether you're doing manipulation or just the emotional side, um, I think all of those things the martial arts kind of train and keep you tonified and strong. So that's a beautiful thing. Um, so Corey, let's go into. We had talked about prior to this this podcast. We had talked about your sort of exposure and moving into the functional medicine spectrum within Chinese medicine. Yeah. And, and I, you know, immediately when you said that I got excited cause I thought, you know, functional medicine is really cool for one people. It seems to be, it's a big wave now people moving towards functional medicine where they're getting in and working on gut health or there's so many different spectrums yeah. within functional medicine. So what took you into functional medicine and what are you doing with it? And yeah, let's just open that can of worms. Like, right on. Yeah, so having that strong base in in strictly Chinese medicine and that strong base in the, the classical family style medicine that I learned uh, from the Tong Shidao, um and just some other teachers, because I had a quite, I had actually had three or four teachers that were classically trained in, in various forms of Chinese medicine. Will you give a, just a real quick side tangent to that? What, what does that mean? You know, for people, okay, Cla- so, um, what's classical Chinese medicine mean? So classical would be more the medicine they taught um, kind of pre-Western, uh, I forget what they call that period, uh, where, you know, all the colonialism in China and um, be- it was kind of that, that old world medicine um, taught how it was before biomedicine, Western medicine really made a mark in China yep. before the Western civilization really made a mark in China. Yep. But really before 
the communist takeover in China yeah. where they tried to systemize all the folk medicine right. that was done in China. Yep. So family styles um, versus more of the intellectual textbook. Here's, you know, read these books and then get out of here kind of yeah. approach. Can I add, add to that? And it's more, yeah, it's, sure. kind of, it's kind of a question too, because I, I don't claim to be a, Chinese historian. I've definitely read the texts, and I, but I would love to hear your. This is kind of the way it was. It's been shared with me, and it's very similar to what you just said. When Mao came into power and the Cultural Revolution happened in China, mm -hmm. when Qigong, the practice of you know movement arts, these things were seen as superstitious, and people were actually you know shot and killed in parks. From what I heard, when people were practicing because it was seen as religious dogma um, at the peak of when it, things were their worst. But like, what you just said was there was um, the way I've kind of heard it too is. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong from what you've heard, but the shamanistic threads when there was almost a more spiritual thread to the medicine, like you said, when it was a little more yeah. organic and less westernized, because Mao apparently was pretty big on um, systemizing the, the medicine and right. sort of getting rid of all things that, I don't know what you want to call it, that, that seemed outside of the range of what's acceptable in the Western mind. Yeah, And then from there, the medicine took a pretty big hit. And modern TCM is sort of what we've gotten in the West, which is sort of a, a more Western systemized version of Chinese medicine. And classical was when it was a little more abstract, a little more intuitive, maybe a little more emotional. Would you say that's, you know, kind of sort of what you've heard? And, and if that, not, what would you change? That's fairly accurate. Um, when I was training with all these guys, it was not a real shamanistic approach but it was just more of the, um, what do you call it? Apprenticeship approach. Yeah. You know, oral tradition, now, person to person. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and just really hands on all the time. Um, vice sitting in class all day, memorizing point names and actions and, you know, yeah. Um, I'm sure there's some, some varying histories about it. Um, it's hard to track. It, yeah. Right. And kind of the big, one that I got and you can see this sometimes there's some guys doing some really awesome translations of some really old Chinese medical texts now. Mm -hmm. And when they, they doing these translations, it's coming up the way, and this is going to lead into my functional medicine. Yeah. It's kind of comes up that way that that's probably what they were talking about, mm -hmm. but they didn't have the language to really express it then. Right. So it, it sounds very shamanistic or, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, folksy. Yeah, well said. I mean, I, I think about this all the time. I'm like, well, in a time when you didn't have laboratories and you didn't have, you know, molecular science and all of this stuff, I feel like the language would have to be more intuitive and kind of artistic to a, to a mm -hmm. degree because you don't have these hard set parameters and microscopes and these things. So the languaging is going to be different. And I should clarify a little bit, you know, Jeffrey Yuan, who's a prominent Chinese medicine yeah. guy, when he says shamanistic, it's not someone with a rattle, just, you know, <laughs> taking psychedelics and trying to like bridge the world. He's like, yeah, those people existed. But what it really meant was, is when they looked at the larger natural cycles, when they actually considered cosmology, when they actually looked at yeah. uh, environmental rhythms, feng shui, they looked at these larger things that impacted human beings. And that's kind of what the term, you know, shamanistic when he talks about that, it's just that I agree with that. I'm glad you said that because yeah. that was not where I was thinking when you said shamanistic first either. <laughs> totally. I think, I think the way they, at least from what I've read, when Jeffrey talks about, he talks about like 
Chinese shamanism was basically people who just attended to, listened, observed, and integrated natural rhythms. He's like, if they were yeah. if they were doing that, that's quote unquote shamanism in the you know Chinese medicine world. So, sure. In any case, that was a tangent. I pulled you off, but <laughs> yeah, run back into the uh, the functional medicine piece. So yeah, you know, learning that way was awesome. Um, and I'm very successful with that, but there's some things that you're not going to cover with that practice style mm-hmm. and that's okay. Fast forward a few years in practice, I was looking for like a, uh, a practice management coach or a business mentor. And I got introduced to a group, um, that is made up of acupuncturists, chiropractors, MDs, everybody in between and they have a really strong functional medicine component. Once I got exposed to that and saw what they were doing and how it relates to everything I'm doing and how successful they they were with it, I was like, whoa, that's really cool. And that's kind of a part of medicine and a part of looking at the body that I wasn't confident with. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting. So I took them up on some of that training and again, it just snowballs into this. Oh, now I got to learn this, this, and this. Right. A lot of it is nutrition based or at least the basis of it is nutrition based. And that's always fascinating to me, the study of nutrition. Mm -hmm. So the more, again, I got exposed to that, the more I wanted to learn. Um, there's a really awesome company called Apex Energetics. They put out some fantastic nutraceuticals and supplements, but they have a very strong education department. Mm. Took a couple courses with them, took some courses with my business coaches and some uh, just mentorship through them. And that's really how I got started. And you get a couple successes with patients that you weren't having success with before. And you, you know, you look at a blood lab now and you go, oh, we should really be focusing on X, Y, and Z. Right. And then they come back instead of saying, yeah, I feel kind of better. They come back and go, I haven't felt this good since 20 years ago. Right. And you know, you're on the right path. Mm-hmm. For the people listening, cause I, I have a weird eclectic range <laughs> of, of listeners that listen to my stuff. But, uh, you know, when you talk about functional medicine for the people who are like, what the fuck is yeah. functional medicine? <laughs> like, sure. Let's, let's yeah. break it down. Yeah. Break down. Like what's functional medicine for the people that, don't um, know functional medicine, at least the way it was taught to me, um, is the use of laboratory medicine with nutraceuticals, diet and lifestyle training. Yeah. So we'll take a blood lab, a stool lab, various, there's a few others, cortisols, like a saliva test. Mm-hmm. Um, and measure the body functions from there. Right. Then you could tailor specific uh, dietary protocol, exercise protocol, um, and supplementation, whether it's nutraceuticals like vitamins and minerals, Chinese herbs even. Yep. You could tailor that specifically to what these tests are showing you. Mm-hmm. And it becomes a really powerful uh, way to, to get care to people now. Um, and it's kind of more, it's imagine Chinese medicine through the lens or the microscope of Western biomedicine. Right. So you're kind of using their scope, but focusing it with everything that we did in Chinese medicine, you're just using their, 
you know, their binoculars to, to come to that conclusion. Right. I think the coolest thing that I've seen, cause I've got a lot of um, colleagues who are in the functional medicine spectrum, yeah. you know, you're, you're one. Um, I've got a lot of people from when I went to, who I went to grad school with. And I think the coolest thing about the functional medicine piece is that it's a very accessible bridge between yeah. it's, it bridges Western medicine and Eastern, you know, medicine, Chinese medicine. It bridges them very nicely because it gives an access point to, get the both the, the best out of both worlds and absolutely that's been a big contentious thing and i'm sure you've seen it too or where East, oh, yeah. eastern medicine people will get very contentious and like they turn their nose up at western we don't need western medicine and western medicine will get the same way we don't need that it's all just a bunch of sh- shamanistic bullshit yeah and the cool thing with functional medicine is like this is where they can kind of both agree and they and you get to pull like right. the gems out of western medicine that are really good which is that diagnostic blood work and laboratory work and then you get to pull in some of these lifestyle pieces you know some of the the theory that comes out of chinese medicine and they meet and that's what's been so cool is we're like that's the it's the link between these uh-huh. two cuz i i think you're you're i mean functional medicine makes you technically an integrated practitioner where you're saying yeah. We need both, right? We need we need the lens of Western medicine. We need Eastern medicine. And these things meeting in the middle seems to be a good, happy medium that gives the best care or some of the best care for patients. Absolutely. 100% agree with that. That's a very good way to put it. Yeah. Um, it's been fascinating since we started because it made me better at the, uh, the Western portion. Yeah. You know, people right. will come in and go, my doctor said this. Yeah. And I'm, you know, oh, okay that relates to this. We can do this. Da, da, da. Whereas previous to that, I wasn't as good at doing that. Um, that's some of, you know, my own, but some of that is the Chinese medicine programs don't teach a lot of that. And it's, yep. it's detrimental for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the functional medicine too, because in Western biomedicine, when you're doing lab medicine, blood labs or whatever, their ranges are really broad. Yeah. If you know, it could go from zero to 100. If you fall with anywhere in there, well, that's normal. Everything's fine. Well, you could still be symptomatic. So the functional range is very narrow. Mm-hmm. So it's optimal function. Right. So we try to get you into this window because there's almost no chance you'll be symptomatic in this window. Yeah. Or at least a lot less symptomatic. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the goal. And it's, so it's really fascinating. I'll explain that to patients. They'll bring me, oh, my doctor said my blood work is fine. Well, yes, technically it is, medically speaking. Yeah. Big quotes. Right. Um, but you don't feel well. So if we get this number to, to go here, you should feel better. And then that becomes the goal. They understand that it's easy to, to point that out. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of backtracking a little bit on what you said, you know, for Chinese medicine people, when we do uh, Chinese medicine diagnostic assessment, there is, we look at the tongue, we look, yep. we ask about stools, if they're loose, if they're firm, if they're well formed, how many times a day, all these things. But for a lot of the average Americans, they're like, what the hell does, you know, your, <laughs> your shit have to do with your health? Oh yeah. What does gut health have to do with health? I mean, these are concepts I think for uh, people like us that are associated with it we're exposed to it you know we, we get well relatively well versed in the idea and the theory but for a lot of modern americans they're like wait a minute outside of eat your fruits and vegetables and you know go exercise <laughs> what else is there to health so why don't you break down a little bit like 
talk about gut health, talk about uh, stool health and what that what that means when you guys look at that, because I think, and, and maybe even some of the blood work, because I think those are, if we can orient people to that, I think that's part of what people, it gets the sparklet. We're like, oh yeah, there's more to health than just, you know, eating fruits and vegetables and, you know, exercising. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, so let's start with gut health. Um, gut health, you know, it starts with how, how well does like food sit in your stomach? Mm -hmm. You know, how come I can eat, um, steak and potatoes and feel fine, but I eat an ice cream and I feel terrible. Yeah. You know, or how come I can eat an apple and I'm okay, but I eat a banana and I feel bad. Right. You know, so there's, there's various factors in that and it, you can measure those factors through various lab tests. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side of that, no pun intended, you know, your stool, um, a nice well-formed stool is kind of the hallmark of good digestion and intestines that are working properly. Yep. You know, if you're constipated, you only go every three, four, five days. It's really hard. It's hard to express or just there's, there's times there's people that don't feel good when they have a bowel movement. It hurts, you know, right. or it doesn't feel like it's complete. That's a sign that something's not working right. And if you're constantly putting things in the body, you should be constantly getting waste out of the body. Mm -hmm. And when one of those things is off, then there's dysfunction. Right. So you can pinpoint the dysfunction with some of those tests. So instead of throwing, um, one of my teachers always called it the shotgun approach versus the sniper approach. <laughs> yeah. You know, we can throw the shotgun approach out and give them these formulas that have 30 herbs in them that do all these things, or you dial in your diagnostics and you get the sniper approach and you give them the one or two things they actually need. Yeah. It's the same thing with, with, you know, looking at a blood lab, um, the range for glucose. So blood sugar is up to a hundred. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I'll give you an example. I took mine recently. It was 98. Mm. So laboratory medicine says that's fine. Right. Functional medicine says I'm too high. Right. And with some symptoms, some things that, that I deal with personally, that's too high. Right. So, you know, we dial things back uh, to get that appropriate. So, like, I try really hard to be low carb because of that. Because mm -hmm. I don't need simple sugars in my diet because my body's having a hard time dealing with them. Right. So, you know, that's that's a really good example of a number that can look fine on paper but not doesn't work fine for me, the, the patient or the, the person. And you, you bring up a, a key point, which I think is – I think the ideal of Chinese medicine, I think medicine in general is that we sort of, you, you tailor, right. The approach yeah. to people because people's diets, their genetic heritage, their lifestyle, their emotional stressors, their environmental stressors are so damn different across the board, yeah. depending on where you live. I mean, there's so many factors, right. Socioeconomic, uh, you know, status, like you said, genes, all of that stuff. And it's like, you know, your diet compared to your kid's diet, is likely going to be different too, because we all right. genetically express differently. And that's the beautiful thing about this stuff is that you, you really can tailor and get, mm -hmm. in, get in line with what does your body actually need? What do you actually, yeah. what do you actually thrive on? Some people do amazing with beef, some not so much. Some people Correct. thrive with chicken, aggravates the hell out of some other people. And I think that's been a game changer for a lot of people when they do these food intolerance tests, they do some blood tests, they see, you know, the, the stool, 
what's happening in the gut? Are you not digesting something? Or like you, you said yourself, right? You do better with a low carb diet while those really lean, lucky people can thrive, <laughs> thrive on carbohydrates. You know, I'm not one of them either. I have to very much keep uh, carbohydrates to a minimum and keep it to like clean starches and not a lot of grains, you know, so it's, it's different for everybody. So when you do these, say you do the test with somebody, you have, you have a patient come in, you give them the functional medicine panel, you get them to take these tests. Are people, what's, what do you see? Are people, uh, are they open to the idea? Are they surprised when they, you know, shift their diet, how much better they feel? Like, what do you see when people engage this? Like, what's the, just kind of in a nutshell, what do you see with people when they jump down this road? Lately, people are seeking that service out because they're tired of not feeling better. Right. They're tired of not getting results from doctors. And I don't, to caveat this, I don't want to talk bad about doctors because everybody does the best they can for the patients on how they were trained. Agreed. uh, With the time allotted and everything. It's just, it's hard sometimes when you get caught up in a big system. Sure. Or insurance protocol says I have to do A, B, and C before I can do D and E, even though E is the only one that's going to help you. Right. I got to do all these others. So when the, yeah, lately the people come in and ask for that. Sometimes you're going to get kicked back with most patients of, oh, uh, there's no way I can give up bread. Well, okay. I continue to feel like crap. Or thanks. I'll see you later. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, most of the time, yes, when you can get someone to follow the protocol for, you know, three weeks minimum, I would say. Yeah. All of a sudden, it's going to happen one day where they're going to they're going to have that little light on moment and go, I feel better. It yeah. didn't hurt when I walked down the stairs or my stomach didn't hurt when I ate lunch today. Right. You know, um, I had three bowel movements, you know, one a day. It hasn't happened in years. <laughs> And that's, you know, I mean, there's, huge. There's, there's, yeah, it's huge. for someone that, that constantly battles that, you know, you just change their life. And right. that's amazing. So sometimes I do have the patients where it takes a little more to get some traction. You know, you got to kick them in the ass a little harder. Sure. But that's, that's what we're here for at the same time. Right. Part of your you know, job. That's kind of, that's yeah. kind of how we have our practice set up. You know, I'm the main provider. Uh, but I have a health coach, someone that will call and check in on patients, right. see how their diet's going, if they have questions, have they tried this recipe yet, or stuff like that. So having a good team helps that process a lot, too. When you, I guess the question I'm, I want to ask is, is to take the lens out, because the functional medicine takes the lens in, right? It's it's a laser, mm-hmm. like, like you said, like the sniper or the shotgun, yep. like the focused. So. When we look at, um, of course, functional medicine is going to give you the, the sniper view, the really fine-tuned laser beam focus into what's unique to you. What do you see if you take that lens back out and you go kind of broad in general? Because I, I like to work with broad strokes too because sure. it's like people are listening to this, right? And they're they're listening to you talk about this. They're not going to be able to take the blood test right now. No. So when they when we look at the broad lens what do you see in the broad strokes what's usually pretty consistent across the board for most people in terms of uh, dietary health um, yeah. you know what they can do because there there do seem to be some common threads of like don't do this like don't eat mcdonald's yeah. right don't, like, <laughs> there are some key threads so yeah and what you've seen with 
you know, your dialogue with the functional medicine spectrum, what are some of the big broad strokes that usually, right? No one's going to hold you to it, but usually what's pretty true for um, like broad spectrum health for, for the... a lot of people, uh, too many grains in the diet, mm -hmm. any grain at all. A lot of times for, for a lot of people in this country, right? Cause it, it, it can be different depending where you are in the world. Yep. In this country, most grains are pro-inflammatory, right? It's, you know, they're either the wrong grain or they're grown with toxins and it just, your body doesn't like it. Yep. Uh, so I have people come in, well, I've been gluten free for two years. I'm like, right. But you're still eating rice and corn and oats because right. they don't have gluten, right? Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. There you go. Right. Um, that and deep fried carbs. Mm. And Americans love deep fried carbs. Hell yeah, they taste good. Yeah. <laughs> Tastes amazing. <laughs> but I mean, you, I would say probably 80 to 90% of the patients that come in that have had issues like that and inflammation issues in general yeah. have those in their diet. Mm -hmm. And just a simple diet journal yep. for a week or so can really open your eyes. And again, I got another, I did that once. Um, like probably most guys, uh, whenever I would stop and get gas, sometimes I would like to have a Snickers bar. Yeah. So I did a diet journal for, for about two weeks and I realized that I had like seven Snickers bars in this two week period. And that's not every once in a while that's eating candy all the time. Right. So you don't think about it, but once I wrote it on paper, it became real. Uh -huh. Oh, so you need to, you could change that habit then. So yeah, just something simple every evening before bed. Today I ate two eggs, you know, an apple, whatever. And then you look at it and you, oh wow, I'm doing pretty good. Or oh, nut. Right. Man, I ate fast food three times. Yeah. So you mentioned a couple of things. Like so, it seems like a consistent thread is right. Um, grains mm -hmm. and too many grains and or the frying of, of grains, you know, and, and deep fried foods where wheat and gluten is usually wrapped in those things. What do you see in terms of the things that people, um, sort of the positive side, like what are the things that usually consistently people, if they add in or if they're focusing more on certain, certain fats, certain proteins, do you see any things like that that are seem to be for the most part, usually a good thing? Yeah. Um, I mean, any high quality, meat product. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we're in Nebraska. It's kind of like beef country around here. Right. Um, any good grass fed beef people that stick primarily to something quality like that, mm -hmm. uh, you get somebody to change, you know, just a little bit like how they're cooking their vegetables maybe. Right. I mean, it's, it's a night and day difference. You can drop inflammatory markers rather quick, just some simple changes in the diet. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to offend any, any vegans or vegetarians or whatever, but I, I eat beef all the time. About three months ago, I switched to only grass fed beef period. Mm -hmm. And I notice a difference in my body, you know? Yeah. It makes a, a huge difference. Animals that are raised on corn are going to be inflammatory. Yep. So it, if they're fed grain at a stockyard or hen house or whatever it's called, you know, on the chicken farms, um, yep. they're, that meat is not going to be as high quality as a, a grass fed or even hunters. I have a couple patients that are hunters and whenever they, they'll bag an extra deer or whatever. And that's some of the best high quality, you know, 
animal protein you can get. Absolutely. And it kind of brings back to what you just touched on, kind of brings back to this whole idea of, which I like about Chinese medicine, the naturalistic philosophy. Yeah. Let animals eat what they're supposed to eat, their natural, actual, you know, their actual diet, the actual food they're designed for. And they produce a, it's a healthy animal. Therefore, when Mm -hmm. you eat it, it's a healthy food. And um, I mean, that thing you just touched on, which I think is worth mentioning, cows are designed to eat grass. And when they do, the fat they produce is omega-3, which is anti-inflammatory. When they eat a bunch of Uh corn, it's pro-inflammatory omega-6s. And then people eat that and then they get inflammation. And it's it's those basic natural principles that when we start to see, it's like if we don't tamper too much with the ecosystem and the natural rhythms of the things that we're eating, that includes vegetables, right? Don't, right, absolutely. Don't inundate them with just a bunch of bullshit chemicals and pesticides that are going <laughs> to destroy our gut. That, that's a huge component of why people wheat is toxic for people in this country. Yeah, it's not so much that the the wheat plant is super toxic to some people, but it's the chemicals they put on it. Right, and that's and that right that opens up a whole new can of worms. Too. <laughs> I know. It's like, how many other podcasts? Yeah, right. <laughs> how many directions can we run? Um, well, that's really cool with the functional medicine piece. So, um, you've touched on just, you know, I always like to give personal experience cause I think personal experience yeah. trumps dogma in theory. So in terms of, I, I know when you probably got into this functional medicine spectrum, you started doing some of these functional medicine tests. Mm-hmm. So can you kind of give a before and after in terms of like how your lifestyle has shifted as a result of, uh, the introduction of functional medicine, like what you were doing before, what you took out and what you see now? Well, yeah, um, before was kind of, I don't know, it was a little hit and miss nutritionally. Mm -hmm. Switching, like I said earlier, to all grass-fed beef, that was because of the functional medicine. Mm -hmm. Because I was really learning about inflammatory markers in the body, what causes them, what helps them, etc. Right. And then it was kind of a casual conversation with one of my mentors. Um, He grew up on a farm in Iowa uh, we were talking about meat, blah, blah, blah. And then he says, oh, yeah. He says there's – he and he mentioned a study, which I I would try to bring it up now, but I it was so long ago. Yeah. But a study where they studied animals that were grass-fed or free-range versus animals that were pin-fed. Right. And how this one made inflammation worse and this one uh, was the opposite. So that just kind of got the wheels turning about that. Um, I'm way better at taking vitamins and supplements now, um, than I was before. And I, I cut my teeth, so to speak, taking raw Chinese herb formulas. Mm. So I mean, some pretty disgusting, nasty decoctions that yeah. looked like, you know, the bottom of the river. I live on the Missouri river, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, stuff you would never want to drink. It smells right. as bad as it looks. Right. Um, so I was used to taking all these nasty bitter herbs, but never really good at taking some of these other supplements and pills and things like that. Right. But they just reiterated more why it's important when you're on these programs uh, to take the supplements. Yeah. You know, because you can see it in the markers. Yeah. It's it's not all in your head. You know, and I think this was a hard thing for me to come to grips with too, and I think. I think people in general, once you go down this rabbit hole a little bit of, you know, what gives you health, what takes life from you, what gives life to you. And it's, it's this, you know, it's a kind of an existential, uh, I don't want to say awakening, but it's an awareness of like, you know, my body doesn't do certain things well. And there are some things that it does do well. 
and I'm going to have to like take these things to make my body optimal. And I'm not going to be perfect and it's a losing battle. Nobody gets out alive. <laughs> but there's a, like a simple truth that like, yeah, your body's going to be deficient in certain functions and certain. Yeah. Uh, that, and I think that's true for talents, aptitudes, strengths, coordination. And it, with diet, I mean, I think now more than ever with the demand that is put on this planet to produce food for everybody. I mean, we have to pay attention to these things. Like what, what am sure. I, what am I supposed to put in my body? that's going to make me feel really good. And uh, if you can identify those things, life gets better pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, that was uh, going back a little bit with what you just said and what I was talking about, about functional medicine and how it changed things. Having the lens of Chinese medicine, I knew what I was looking for. Yeah. And then having the quantifiable numbers from the functional medicine solidifies even further yeah. why I'm only going to buy the, the best produce I can get, the best meat I can get, the yeah. best supplements, you know, um, it just, it changed that, that mindset in, in my brain going, oh, this bottom of the shelf, you know, yeah. vegetables in the freezer section is fine yeah. versus, wow, that number really came down when I ate this way. So I'm going to keep buying that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What do you, um, you know, if, if you're going to, when people listen to this kind of stuff, they're like, oh man, like I want to, you know, jump on the bandwagon and get, get the blood test and start doing this and really fine tuning. Some people's initial thing in their head is, well, I don't have the funds to do this. I don't have, you know, my means are far simpler. What would you say to people that are listening to this? If they want to, at the baseline level, start to improve their health through diet, what would you say to people if, if they're like, if, say like whatever, for whatever reason? Yeah. They don't have access to a, per, a practitioner like you, given their geography, sure. or they don't have the funds. What would you say are like the kind of rudimentary steps to like, you know, get your health at least back online? What would yeah. be, what, what's kind of like the first steps that you would sort of uh, suggest? What I mentioned it earlier is, is take a diet log, mm -hmm. you know, track what you're eating. Mm -hmm. Everybody eats something. I don't, you know, I don't care unless you're some crazy bodybuilder. Yeah. Everybody's going to eat something that they don't need in their diet. Right. Whether it's, you know, you eat candy bars every day, like I was doing, or, you know, you eat six bananas a day. Mm -hmm. Bananas are actually pretty high in the glycemic index. There's a lot of sugar there. Yep. That's not good for you. Mm -hmm. Everybody is going to eat something that they don't need anymore. Right. So by keeping a diet log, you can go back through it and go, oh, yeah, I really don't. I really don't need to eat this. Yep. I actually remember I didn't feel good the last time I had that. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing now. When you eat your supper, your breakfast or whatever, take a few minutes and take stock of how do I feel right now? Did I have a headache before I ate that? Did my stomach hurt before I ate that? Mm -hmm. Does my head hurt now? Does my stomach hurt now? Yeah. You know, I ate, um, we used to buy these one protein bars and by the store you had to get them at, the price and everything, you'd think they were amazing. They were made of gold. I did a six-week uh, stomach repair, gut repair plan, and I was working late one Friday night. I said to the wife, I said, hey, I really need something. I got like two more hours left. Can you just drop something off? She goes, yeah, and she brought me one of those protein bars, and I ate that, and about 10 minutes later, I had a nasty headache, and I went, oh, shit. I can't eat these anymore. Right. You know, so just paying a little bit of attention like that can help a lot of that. 
Yeah. So many people are out of tune with their body, which that's another thing that you have to fight as a practitioner. When you bring someone back to balance, Yeah. they'll fight you because it doesn't feel right. Fully. It's foreign. <laughs> it's totally foreign. Uh-huh. You're like, oh, I'm, I mean, that's, that's well said because people, I think true for everybody. We get, oh, yeah. we, like our pain is our identity. Well, I'm, uh-huh. I'm used to not shitting, you know, once a day. Like I, I'm used to the rhythms that we get attached to, even if they're not good for us, are very real. Like to get people to shift those things can be super tricky. Like, well, yeah, change the mentality. You have to change the way you talk about it even. Yeah. Talk to yourself. You know, one of my favorite mentors uh, is a neuro-linguistic guy. And he, a lot of his training is just how you talk to yourself yeah. about your goals. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, I never, I shouldn't say I never, because that's something he would tell me not to do. Yeah, right. You got to stop doing things like that instead right. of saying, uh, one day I'm going to feel better. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, when I feel better, because I'm doing this process, yeah, I can accomplish this goal. Right. One of the big things when I first started training 20 something years ago, I couldn't kneel down very well. Mm. Um, I had some injuries from playing football and soccer yep. on my right knee and it was super uncomfortable. It was painful. Um, after a couple years of training consistently, that didn't happen anymore. Right. My knee still hurts, still hurts to this day. Mm-hmm. Almost any time I'm active, it hurts, but it doesn't have that, like that, Oh shit factor anymore. Right. You know, so definitely you can work through those things. Mm-hmm. You know, and and invoke that change and just it's a process and you don't have to be identified by your condition. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've had patients stop coming because they wouldn't believe me. Yeah. It, they, they were feeling better, you know. Right. And a young lady with fibromyalgia, she just could not get over the fact that that was probably a BS diagnosis to begin with. Right. And that she could feel better if she just followed these steps. Mm-hmm. It was not in her brain at all. She was an engineer. She had that engineer's mindset totally. of yeah. if I Analytical. build it, you know, AB, yeah. Yeah. Very she analytical. couldn't get there. So she stopped coming one day. Nothing yeah. I could do for her. Yeah. And that I mean, that's life, man. You know, <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't help everybody. Well, Corey, um, we're going to wrap up here. Thank you for yeah. everything you contributed and for all the work you're doing. I mean, functional medicine and Chinese medicine is so needed nowadays. I, I love my job. Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing, man. You're one of the few, you know, I love what I'm doing too. And that's, uh, I count, I consider ourselves very lucky and fortunate to, to be in that spectrum of people. So if people want to track you, follow you, check you out on social media, you know, your website, whatever it is you do, where can people find you? What's the best way? Yeah. So, uh, the website is the number four, Paths Acu P A P A T H S A C U dot com. Uh, it's the same thing on Facebook. Four Paths Acupuncture on Facebook. Okay. Um, they could look up Corey Ninehouse. I don't usually uh, put um, people on my private page, but I'm, it's linked to uh, all the business stuff. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, Four Paths Acupuncture, Integrative Health, Omaha, Nebraska. Four zero two five one five two four one two. Beautiful, man. Well, thank you again, man. Uh, if you guys want to look up Corey, please do. Obviously, you got you know a wealth of knowledge, and that's really cool that you're. I appreciate that functional medicine, especially Chinese medicine people that are using functional medicine, and I know quite a few. You have yeah, joined those ranks. Yeah, and it's incredibly helpful. So yeah, it's something to explore for everybody. So thank you for your time, man. Much appreciated. Absolutely, Gray. All right.
Take care, man.